Hi there. This is Trista. Okay. So, welcome back to the Just a Fucabinator show, Rock History Version Edition. And today we're going to learn about the last 24 hours of Janis Joplin's life on Popcorn Flicks. Subscribe! Dazzleria. This is girl and a genius. She could be every bit as tender as she could be hard. It didn't miss with me, Hardness was real too. I think she was looking for some kind of relief to not have to be Janice. Soon, <laughs> a blast of nearly pure heroin will end her short, dazzling yeah. career. This Maybe is the last 24 hours in the life of Janice Joplin. She was just shaking on stage on slow motion. You know, actually, she had. Um, she would seem kind of like pudgy to me, but, oh shit. Life of Janis Joplin. And, uh, you know, I hate to say this, but like, when she was strung out on heroin, she was at her thinnest. And also, I, I heard during my research about her life, I do research into biographies of all the rock stars and so you don't have to and also she oh I hear saying just Kleber you know my sister always wanted to be a singer and my sister when she was Janice's age was apparently just like Janice Joplin according to somebody that hung out with both Janis Joplin and my sister. Um, so, you know, very troubled and uh, emotional and lots of insecurities, but like, you know, you know, Janis Joplin was, was bullied in school she would come to class barefoot and play guitar, play some guitar, and um, they voted her. This is this is how cruel a Texas high school could be. But they voted her ugliest man on campus. I mean, like what a fucking horrible. That's that's like. We shouldn't allow that award to exist. That's totally not right. And I think, I'm sure, I know that, like, scarred her for life. Remember when she went back to her high school and um, she put a brave face on it, but really she, you could see she was coming apart again because it's just like so traumatic of an experience high school for her so yeah thanks for 5,000 subscribers across social media by the way life of Janis Joplin life of Janis Joplin
I've actually already seen this one, I think, a long time ago. A couple of years ago. October 3rd, 1970. Hollywood, California. For the past month, rock and roll superstar Janis Joplin has been in town working on her latest album, simply entitled Pearl. She's staying at the Landmark Hotel, and it's here, alone, that in less than 24 hours, she will die. It's 1.30 in the afternoon, and Janice is still in her room. Her band is busy laying down tracks at the nearby recording studio, and she'll not be needed there until much later. With time on her hands, she makes a call to City Hall in San Francisco, hoping to get some information about a marriage license. Janice has recently become engaged to Seth Morgan, a man she's only known for a few months. Some of her friends are skeptical about her new relationship, but not her road manager, John Cook. The way Janice talked about her relationship with Seth Morgan was, was very positive. She especially, she was describing it in terms of being different from her previous relationships. Janice believes that this time she's found true love. She described their relationship as being different. She said they didn't have to different. go out boogieing every night. They could read the morning paper together and talk about current affairs. Janice's call to City Hall, however, hits a snag. It's Saturday, and municipal offices are closed. She'll have to try again on Monday. With a whole afternoon ahead of her and nothing much to do, Janice huh. starts to get edgy. She doesn't like to be alone and needs something to help fill the void. Well, recording goes on for weeks, and it's not ever quite as much fun as being on stage because there's no audience. There are those boring days, and Janice did not suffer boredom gladly. Janice goes back to the phone. This time she's calling her candy man. He agrees to come by the hotel with a special package, a package that will end her life. Candy man. The candy life man that just three can. years earlier had seemed so full of promise. Back on June 16, 1967, the summer of love was in full swing. 50,000 people were assembled for the Monterey International Pop Festival. A little-known San Francisco band of hippies known as Big Brother and the Holding Company was about to hit the stage. Fronting the band was 24-year-old Janis Joplin. People just hadn't heard a white girl sing the blues this way. If you hadn't heard Janis before and she came out and started... By the way, um, she is, uh, she got famous the same way Elvis got famous by uh, being the first notable white person to take a black art form and turn it into a white one, white and therefore mainstream one, you know, and put it white succinctly. Everybody in the band, not just Janice, but Peter had it, Sam had it, James had it, I had it. When we went out, we just, you know, we we really just went for it. Uh -huh. Today, 
if you had done a whip reverse with some of those movie cameras and shot the audience, you would have seen a lot of people like this. seen as a sex symbol as well by the way by some yeah <laughs> even though she was voted ugliest man on campus by the way she was bisexual and the night she she died she was supposed to have like uh you know probably like a threesome with her um feasts erstwhile fiance or pretender or whatever who whoever that dude was and uh her girlfriend girlfriends excuse me girlfriend girlfriends no space um and there have been other people who uh have had relationships had other women who had relationships with Janice, who came forward. Yes. Women in particular, identify for that. Uh, Janice stood out for a lot of a lot of women's issues, the right to be proud of yourself, period. She was the first person on stage saying that stuff, and people were taken aback by that and also drawn to it. Janice was more than just a singer. She was becoming a voice for her generation. It was a role she was more than happy to play. Janice took to the fame very well. She was up to it for one thing. You know, she was faster, funnier, positive and more attention. intelligent by far than most of the people we ran into. At the same time, she felt like, you know, wow, I'm meeting Andy Warhol. 
me this like ugly chick from texas this nobody i'm meeting you know these big stars like that dick cavett fell in love with her which was hard to imagine it was like a flea falling in love with an elephant very nice to see you my little songbird <laughs> i wore my hip jacket for you however you did, you did. <laughs> are you sure <laughs> I thought I did. Yes, isn't this what all the guys are wearing? <laughs> yes. no, not all of them. Not all of them, But behind the bravado, Janice was lonely and insecure. Insecure about her looks, about her talent, and about her popularity. Drink and drugs helped fill the emptiness. If everyone's drinking, she would drink the most in the room. You know, if everyone's doing drugs, she would do the best drugs and the most drugs of anyone in the room. With Janice's growing fame came a growing addiction. An addiction that would follow her like a dark shadow, all the way to a lonely hotel room in Hollywood. Who am I to write a book? What's, that's where she died in the lonely ho uh, hotel room in Hollywood, waiting for her fiance and her girlfriend to show up. They, they jilted her. She got jilted by both in one night. They didn't show up. So she I have not been on my schedule. I don't have a connection to a pop. October 3rd, 1970, 3.30 p.m. Rock and roll star Janis Joplin has been holed up at the Landmark Hotel in Hollywood for more than a month while working on her latest record, Pearl. Oh. Hours away from being needed in the recording studio, she's bored. To kill time, Janice has arranged for her drug dealer to bring her a fresh supply of heroin. She has no idea that she has made an appointment with death. In less than 10 hours, Janice Joplin, the wild woman of blues, will be dead. Throughout her career, Janice has struggled with an addiction to both alcohol and drugs. To the band, she always presented us very up, very happy, very ready to rock, very ready to play, ready to do the job, make the music. That was the side of her we saw. We didn't really see the other side. And until arriving in L.A., neither had Janice. Since April, she steered clear of heroin. She had been clean for six months and proud of it. And she had done it herself because you have to do it for yourself. She decided to get on, get her light back on the rails again. Only her fucking fiance and girlfriend had stand her up. But in her hotel room, Janice Joplin takes two steps back. In my experience of the addictive personality, self-confidence that is a step beyond where it should be. So because she had cleaned herself up well, then she could safely dabble. It's not the first time that Janice has dealt with this particular dealer. She uses him because he's reliable, always testing his product. But today, he gets sloppy. Neither the dealer nor Janice is aware that the heroin is uncut and is possibly as much as 50% pure. What the fuck? For even the most hardcore junkie, that level of purity it. is risky. But for Janice, who has just started using again, it will turn out to be lethal. Instead of getting high right away, 
Janice decides to call her fiancé, Seth. She has big plans for her and Seth. Lately, they've been talking about her quitting the business and having some kids. Huh. She wanted to be more than a rock star. She wanted to have a family. She wanted to have children. She wanted to get married. Well, she wanted all the things that everybody wants. Family is important to Janice. It always has been. Janice Lynn Joplin was born on January 19th, 1943, in the respectable, conservative, oil-refining town a, of Port Arthur, Texas. She was a Capricorn, too. I didn't an know unlikely birthplace for a woman who would one day be known as the Wild Woman of Blues. When we were growing up, and this is in the 40s and 50s, it was quite idyllic, really. You know, manicured lawns and Little League baseball and sort of a normal, middle-class-looking type town. By all accounts, Janice's early childhood was normal and happy and uneventful. But in her teens, all that changed. Her mother wanted Janice to be what every mother there wanted their daughter to be, and that was popular and have a date for the prom and dress nice and wear her hair right. And it became pretty clear pretty early in high school that uh, Janice wasn't going to follow that road. Plagued with severe acne and an underdeveloped body, the teenager began being shunned by her peers. For Janice, used to being popular, it was devastating. I think Janice probably had a lot of personal problems, uh, self and doubts, self-doubts, and as far as her own looks were concerned. Janice dealt with her rejection by rebelling. She dressed in black, swore like a sailor, and thumbed her nose at what she came to see as Port Arthur's hypocritical small-town values. And the more she rebelled, the more her peers bullied and isolated her. But Janice did find refuge in the company of a small group of other young outsiders. One of those was Jim Langdon. We all rebelled against the status quo, against the establishment, against the rules and regulations and attitudes that prevailed at that time. Part of their rebellion involved illicit trips across the state line into Louisiana, where they searched for adventure and found the forbidden fruit, black music. And we spent from midnight until dawn just going, prowling in and out of the clubs, the quarters, hearing, hearing blues players, jazz players, you know, just digging the music and, uh, and drinking. She really got turned on to them, especially the blues, blues people, you know. There was just a whole scene that was just magical, you know, really exciting. Janice loved it. You know, we all enjoyed it, but she really loved it. <laughs> and so I think that was sort of the a, begin, a beginning as far as the kind of the kind of life that she was going to uh, going to pursue. <laughs> After one such trip to New Orleans, Janice and her friends crashed their car and were apprehended by the police. It was things like that that solidified Janice's reputation as a bad girl, as a really bad girl. She was vilified greatly for this, you know. She was different, and being different was enough to uh, get you a lot of grief. She yeah. had... Uh, chosen to fight back by being even more outrageous and more aggressive and they just made matters worse and now in the fall of 1970 deep down janice is still searching for acceptance and love lonely and bored in her hotel bedroom 
She again calls her fiance, Seth Morgan. They've been living together for a couple of months now, but since she's been in LA recording, they've barely seen each other. <coughs> Janice's friends are I, suspicious uh, about the latest man in her life. Blood pressure on a Bluetooth speaker and she's holding it. It's, it's her blood pressure. Skyrockets. It's a disease. There's no losing weight about it. There's no... She's just... The only way to bring it down is to exercise, walk. Breathing to too. Breathing, breathing. Um, you know, three deep, three deep breaths. Mm -hmm. And that will, um, that will help your blood pressure come down. Meditation. Another good means of that. Um, animal therapy. I left here at 9 last night, hmm. and I got home at 11 at night, and then I just, I went to sleep, I told her I'm going to go to sleep, and I'll be back in the morning, I caught the first bus back at 5, and we got back at 7, and she was okay, she was doing great. Circles, circles. Her bowels are clear. That's wonderful. <laughs> she always has uh, a couple of movements a day or more. Oh, you being a medical assistant. <laughs> I, can, I can talk to you about that. Ah. I'm uh, watching a documentary about the last 24 hours of Janis Joplin. Oh, yeah. It's really good. Oh. An English guy? Um, no. What are you doing this? Somebody's terrorizing somebody. This darky. Darky missing. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I want some coffee. More mass cafe. Yeah, this heat, it just, it really wipes you out, man. Yeah, the heat, yeah. Really. And it's supposed to be I, really I hot. It's, it's uh, in the summers, I'm, you know, I'm Taiwanese in that, <laughs> you know, siestas in a nap is, is pretty key. Especially through the hottest part of the day, well, in Taiwan, it's very humid, right? Yeah. 
Like I mean, Miami? There's no way you can't take a nap in Taiwan, you know. Just, uh, uh, you know, hot and muggy. And also it has scientific benefits of, you know, like, they, they have to let the kids take a fucking nap in the middle of the day. Like, after they eat their lunch, they take a, like, a 20-30 minute nap. And sometimes they have their own mats, or they bring their own, like, tatami things, or sleep on the floor, or, mm. you know. <sighs> it's very simple, but, yeah, it's just, it's a part, like, all this. What's that noise? <laughs> What's inside, Dr. B? Dr. Baker's knee? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, so I'm, I'm gradually letting letting my chitties uh, <clears throat> hang out in, just in this little area, you know. And uh, they kind of like that interior, uh, internal area. It's just kind of fenced up. And so I'm like fencing it up underneath these. See how they like to hang out underneath there? So I put some water in there. Um, you know, it's cool and, and um, safe from predators. And they like it under there. They like to scratch and, and um, so it, and, uh, they're mixing with the desert pigeons here. <laughs> desert chickens. Look, they're about the same size as my chips. <laughs> they're getting, they get to hang out with it just so it's like a chick playground. I'm creating a chick playground to like live in. Some shit's going down up there. What the hell? Where? Up in the rocks? Somebody terrorizing anybody? Or like, what? Oh, you mean the, At the top. Now, I noticed that um, El Trumpo is not, <laughs> he's, he's laid off the sex. You, know, you that, noticed that? Well, how can you yeah, notice he's, that? Because he's not running after all of them like he used to. Uh, he's uh, not running after them anymore. It's like he's, remember he used to run after, after all of them, trying to have sex with all of them? Now he's just like. Well, I'm sure that he gets like some good Christian women throwing themselves at him. <laughs> or no, just because I mean he was the president. The rooster. The rooster. Oh, oh, oh. No, I didn't mean Trump. Oh, I thought rooster. you meant the real one. No. Like, what the fuck? How would you know how, how no, Trump I mean the, was getting any sex? The, the rooster's not running around at the chickens <laughs> anymore. He's kind of like laid back and, you know. He's like protecting him now. He's accompanying the. He's accompanying yeah, he's them. Yeah, like they're escorts. He's the escort, yeah. They're gentlemen escorts. Until he decides to rape them. <laughs> he, he, uh, yeah, he protects and keeps, uh, you know. He's on alert. He's the. He's a sentinel. Like if uh, there's some danger, say a falcon flies over our heads or something, he mm. might be the first to notice because he's on the lookout. Mm. To, uh, and, and, uh, 
looking out for his ladies. It's kind of it's kind of charming actually. <laughs> Il Trumpo has a much better character than the, the ex-presidents. The ex-presidents. <laughs> That's a good band name, the ex-presidents. I was president of Democrats abroad. I'm president of student buddy. President Six Knocked over the water again. Uh -huh. Should I should I put more water in there? Sure. The hose? Sure. He's like he's not happy unless he's you know uh, doused in uh, mud. Um, what? Which which water did he knock over? The clear one, the one that's inside with the zapods. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you should that. Oh, you know what? Uh, um, yeah, fill it up and throw a like a, a brick in there. Oh look, you got a bunch of eggs here. Did you see? Yeah, I know.
So welcome back to the Chester Cabinet the show and you've been listening to an ASMR barnyard edition chickies mothers and chicks and roosters and I hope this has helped to calm, soothe and relieve of you of your worries and if you could do me a favor, um, please call Congress 202-224-3121 and demand insurrection charges. Yeah. And watch the, um, the January 6th committee's hearings are going to be public live streamed from Democracy Now! among others. Go to YouTube and it will be, uh, look for a live stream. Um, <clears throat> that's how you do it. That this is how you're doing. And if you learned something or, or enjoyed this or whatever, that's good for you. And you can give me a five-star review if you want or, or not. Um, because <clears throat> it don't matter to me whether you hate or like me. That's not my business, you see. So you can take a flying, jump into the sea, if you don't like me. Anyway, that's a little song for the um, people who just don't give a fuck. about what you think although yeah of course it would be nice if everybody fucking adored me but that's not gonna happen Trump I'm not Trump am I I don't need your adoration um he's more Machiavellian because uh you know rather rather to have men fear you than love you According to Machiavelli, the prince, which I've read, I've read all the classics in world literature, by the way. Um, <clears throat> so I'm totally fit, cut out for. Um, A humanitarian good life. Just gave my chicken some water. Hercules, son of Zeus. One of my house chickens. I have Dr. Speckle. Because he's speckled. And... This guy, Hercules, he's my tiniest cock.
anyway so yeah wear a mask all right when you go out that's a great segue by the way um <clears throat> wear a mask when you go out in public indoor spaces all right okay now don't be a freaking idiot and not wear a mask just be safe man it's really come on you know just to be careful and protect your family and community just wear a fucking mask you know like bill other billions of other people that never put up such a stupid ass fuss wearing a mask for well it would have been a couple months if everybody just you know fucking allowed common sense to reign huh in america where america is strong then uh you know if there was some co- if y'all had some common sense all 74 million more freaking morons who voted for the this motherfucking traitor terrorist domestic terrorist y'all are terrorist sympathizers like Nazi sympathizers we have terrorist sympathizers and and um, whether or not they're predominantly neo-Nazi in ideology it is ultranationalist it's dangerous and it is Terrorists, not the number one terrorist threat. Number one terrorist threat uh, was is the white supremacist. That's what the FBI said. Okay. Anyway, so y'all need to fucking call Congress 202-224-3121 and make sure they they make some insurrection charges and chastise them for not having open hearings until. June 9th, Thursday. And it will be live stream on Democracy Now. That's probably where I'm going to get mine. But just go on YouTube and watch watch it and call Congress 202-22431 and call the White House to 202-456-1111. Tell Joe Biden to get his DOJ and Mary Garland's the head of the DOJ Department of Justice. Tell them we need some justice. Maybe I should I should memorize the Department of Justice's phone number as well. Call the Department of Justice. Yeah. USA. Two o two five one four two thousand. According to Department of Justice. Department of Justice main switchboard 202-514-2000 PTY ASCII TDD 8-5-1-4-2-3-3-9 or Federal IP Relay Service Alright Contact the department 514-2000 514-2000 DOJ Okay 
Contact the department. Contact us form. Trista name, Trista. Okay, this is a, you can do this too. Go to DOJ and send a message to the Department of Justice. Trista, email, general topic, civil rights, civic, civil actions, antitrust, bankruptcy, uh, criminal law, drug enforcement, uh, Kind of criminal law, Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI, yeah, that's kind of that. See, Justice Program, wait, oh shit, this Justice Program, please, the general topic, okay, criminal law, criminal law, I guess, okay, but media inquiries, national security, hmm, Office of Legal Pardon Attorney, Prisons, BOP. Professional Responsibility, P-R-A-O, Solicitor General, Tax, Tribal, U.S. Attorneys, U.S. Marshal Service, U.S. Trustees, Victims of Crime. I would suggest, like, if you feel strongly with any of these um, topics... To write your to write your own Department of Justice note to violence against women, domestic violence, messages to the Attorney General, yes, messages to the Deputy Attorney General, messages messages to the Associate Attorney General, other, please specify at the top of your message. Um. Uh, dear Merrick Garland's Merrick Garland. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. Dear, dear Merrick Garland. Um, uh, Department of... Uh, okay, Department DOJ. DOJ heads. Merrick Garland. Trista for governor. Exclamation point. And
Alvin um, indicts. Indicts. Um, Orange Clown Trump. And expel uh, and and charge and uh, uh, and Please, please, sir. Um, but
Um, and please, while you're at it, you're at it. Um, break up the corporate media monopoly. Okay, so I wonder if you're still there. Okay, I'm gonna select all, copy, and submit. Okay, server error. <laughs> okay, you're still um, you're still there. Well, that's good for you. It's kind of fun. Okay, so now I'm going to send it to myself so I can tweet it. Okay, wow, this is a long-ass message. Okay, dear DOJ head Merrick Garland, hi, my name is Tristan. I'm running for Sheriff, Senate, Governor, and POTUS 2024, and I'm writing you and podcasting this on my podcast, Tristan for Governor, to teach people how to send you a direct message. I'm a longtime teacher and journalist with thousands of subscribers across social media. I'm calling on you, sir, to... Please indict Trump and GOP Congress members for insurrection. Please, sir, they are terrorizing the planet, not just January 6th, which was a violent insurrection, but through their continued service in our Congress, making their shitty laws just to distract us all from the fact that you, sir, should, along with President Biden and his nation, all of you should keep your oath to protect the U.S. Constitution and call for immediate indictments. You cannot wait any longer. Progress and justice will wait no longer. Stop, stop letting these terroristic criminals run free any longer. Please do your job to protect us from the number one terrorist threat in the nation, according to the FBI. Golan, white supremacists. White supremacists, Trump supporters, Fox viewers, and please, while you're at it, break up the corporate media monopoly. Five corporations and all of our media in America, that is not freedom of the press. I've only been a part of it. any efforts of research teams surrounding the January 6th committee, for example, as well as I would like you to appoint me to a committee on, say, MMIW, Indigenous Rights, Civil Rights, ACLU, any of that. I volunteer for any of that. Hit me up. Smiley face. I think that's pretty cool, actually. But 
he apparently didn't get it, so maybe I'll just um, send him a link to this, and with the text, like a um, screenshot of the text. Okay, immediate indictments, indeed. Okay. Okay, so, um, then I'm going to send myself those screenshots so I can tweet them. Okay. Yeah. Um. Whoops. Anyway, so. Um, attachments, photo, send one, send two, voila. Okay, there you go. Shall we listen to some more, like some more Janice Joplin? I never believed this world was going to It was strange. This guy's Seth. I don't know. I don't know about him. What do you mean? Janice you don't and know Seth about him. begin to argue. He's supposed to fly to LA and meet her. They were planning an evening together, but not for the first time. Seth cancelled at the last minute. She's banging your friends. She would be with second rate people if they would love her. You know, that was the admission. Janice slept with both men and women. Always open and unashamed about her sexual preferences, it was a far cry from her straight-laced Bible Belt origins. In 1962, the 19-year-old left her family and hometown behind and headed to Austin to attend art school at the University of Texas. There she found a like-minded counterculture community of artists, activists, and most importantly, musicians musicians like Powell St. John. One evening, uh, we were all sitting around my apartment, and Janice was there with a couple of guitarists, and one of the guys was a big Lambo. And Janice started working with all these Lambo tunes that I've never heard in my life. Oh, yeah, that was Green Corn, Green Corn. And she's singing this stuff. And I just like, wow, where did she learn all that? joined the Waller Creek Boys. Janice loved the attention, but not all of it. Every year the fraternities would sponsor a festival on campus, and one of the activities that they would do, you could nominate a person as a man for a fee. So someone nominated Janice, and she won in the voting, and she was absolutely crushed. Anyway, the only time I ever saw Janice cry. Yeah, right? One year later, Janice left Texas and the college jobs who humiliated her and hitchhiked to the promised land, San Francisco. That's heavy, man. There, she quickly established herself on the local music scene, finding gigs in coffee houses and bars. But something else was also waiting there. A 
plentiful supply of drugs. In 1965, only two years after arriving on the San Francisco scene, Janice returned to Port Arthur, a speed freak. She came back probably, you know, probably weighing, you know, 87 pounds or 90 pounds or something like that. And what? Needle oh tracks up and down her arms oh and uh, was a total basket case. And she probably realized when, you know, that, that she, she had damn near killed herself. And she was really trying to do everything in her power to do a complete 180 and go as straight as straight could be. Her first destructive brush with injecting drugs would turn out to be just a taste of what was to come. Now, five years later, in a hotel in Hollywood, California, Janice Joplin's luck is about to run out. Look, less than 20 of these things per day. No commercials, man. I said no commercials. Oh, blood pressure's down, right? Yeah, I went down to put the, the frequency thing. It's usually about an hour. She's on mm -hmm. it for about an hour. Mm -hmm. Frequency's to lower blood pressure. Anyway, I bring it down, I come up, and there's the black rooster on my mom, <laughs> and she's petting him. <laughs> He gets on there, obviously, because she can't hunt them down. Yeah, right. What is he? She attracts them. They're bonded. Something. They're, they're at the right frequency or something. That's what yeah. It is. My That's mother so has cool. a chicken frequency. <laughs> what the hell? It's like... Maybe it's a therapy chicken. Maybe you can you can maybe be the first person to get a like, therapy chicken. Um. Therapy chicken credentials. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Playing my, my fame. Yeah. Therapy. Therapy chicken. It's like your mom is the only thing that works to um to keep your mom's blood pressure down. It's this chicken who just miraculously fell in love with your mom and jumps on jumps on top of her um arm on a wheelchair. Yeah, that's a great feature story by Mika. To um, sell it to the media, <clears throat> sell it to the media, and then do something good with that money. Hmm. I think they got caves up there. Yeah. yeah. Who was it? Mm -hmm. I think Anthony. Anthony said that they had, that they, uh, had mining camps here. Mm -hmm. Back in 1900, 1910. Mm -hmm. and, yep. And there was people out here mining, and uh, it's possible that 